Hebrews 11, 1, 2, and 7. Hebrews 11, 1, 2, and 7. We are in a series on faith and the nature of faith. If you're visiting this morning, this morning we look at that person that uh, is mysterious to lots of people, but we love him, Noah. Noah. And this is the Word of God. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And one of the ancients was Noah. Verse 7, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Two years ago, when I was in India, I went over to, uh, to teach around 160 Indian pastors the doctrine of Scripture and about teaching, uh, uh, interpreting Scripture and preaching and that type of thing. But I will tell you, that I think maybe in some ways I was taught more by them than I probably imparted to those folks. And uh, what I was taught that I really grasped is that I am a lightweight compared to them in the incredible, difficult situation in which God has called them to lead in and to, to have faith and, and to be out there as pastors in a much more difficult place than, than I certainly uh, am in. And uh, I, I don't want to say this, but I think that I should just tell you that your pastor several times had this thought. It's only two weeks. I get to go home in two weeks. But for those guys, the poverty wasn't going anywhere. And the massive spiritual opposition wasn't going anywhere. And the persecution that I myself witnessed wasn't going anywhere. And the suffering for Christ in ways that I still don't even understand because I was only with them for two weeks is not going anywhere. And I'm going to tell you, folks, that is the kind of faith that I admire. It is one thing to get all jacked up for two weeks and go speak to somebody. It is one thing to have faith for a mission trip. Man, I'm going to really have faith while I'm with these people, while I'm teaching these people. It is another thing to have faith in your real life day after day after day. And that includes here in the United States of America. And uh, it's one thing to have faith for a week. It's one thing to be challenged and to go through a difficult patch of ground in our own lives for a month or two months or a year or two years. But for decades on end, that's what I encountered. Try 90 years consecutively. Because that is how long it took for Noah after God spoke to him to build that boat and how long it took from the word of God coming to Noah until the sky broke loose and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. 90 years. And Noah shows us faith in the face of 
quote, reality. And that's kind of where the rubber meets the road, is it not? I mean, we're the people who believe in things not yet seen. We're the people who hold on to and, and love and are loved by an unseen God. And where is he? This is reality, not him. Let me define faith for you in terms of this passage. This is the sentence I want to work off of today, that faith is believing and acting on the Word of God. Let me say that again. It's not the whole sentence. Faith is believing and acting on the Word of God regardless of the circumstances or the consequences. Now, let me say it all together real slowly. You might even want to write this down. Faith is believing and acting on the Word of God in spite of circumstances or consequences. First is this notion of faith believing in the Word of God. Genesis 6, 13, we read these words, and God said to Noah. God showed up. Noah's mind his own business. And God said these words to Noah. I am going to put an end to all the people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. And surely I am going to destroy both them and the earth. So, Make for yourself an ark out of cypress wood, a boat out of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons and, your, and their wives along with you. Now, God comes to Noah in two different ways with his word. And we see this in our passage. The first is that God had come to Noah with the word of grace. Um, Our text says that he was, quote, heir to the righteousness that comes through faith. One of the things that we see over and over in the Old and New Testament is the phrase, the righteous will live by faith, meaning that Noah did not build a boat so he would be considered righteous. Through faith, Noah believed in the grace of God and was therefore considered acceptable and righteous before God. And out of that relationship with God, he used faith to build a boat and prepare for a flood. And this is real important. Because Noah had believed the good word of the gospel. And how do we know that? Because Noah was the last person with the last family on earth that still believed. Look, you think you have it rough on your college campus? Or your high school campus? Or your work? You're like one of three cubicles out of 25 that have a fish symbol on it or something like that? We know that he believed and he had a deep relationship with God because he was the last, he and his family were the last people on earth who believed in the Lord. I mean, can you imagine the comments about them? Have you ever had comments about you? It's hard. It's hard and getting harder to be a true believer that will hold to the faith once given to the apostles in an increasingly secularized world. We often feel alone. I'm going to tell you, we are not. Man, we've got the church. We've got the family. We've got the encouragement. We've got the prayers. We've got the accountability. 
we've got the love. Noah and his family were all alone in the faith. So God had come to him first and he believed in the gospel. He believed in the grace of God just like Abraham believed and was credited to him as righteousness. But then we find in Genesis 6 that God comes to Noah, the last believer on earth and his family, and he actually comes to him and and calls him to exhibit and exercise faith. And that's the the whole passage about building a boat. If you'll go back to verse 7 of Hebrews 11, our text, by faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, took that away, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy or reverent fear, built a boat, an ark, to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness of those who come by fa- who, uh, of those who come by faith. How do we know that Noah believed in this word of God? Very simple. He acted on it. He did it. He believed it, and we know he believed it because he trusted God, and he actually stepped out, and he actually built the boat at great personal cost, deep respect, holy fear, a sense of awe, a sense of deep reverence, a sense of submission to God the King, God who calls, God who commands, trust me, Noah, you and your family will be saved Put your faith in me, Noah. Follow me, Noah. And we know two things that he did from Scripture. He built and he preached. Obviously, he built the ark. We'll get back to that in a minute. But he also preached. 2 Peter 2.5 calls Noah a, quote, preacher of righteousness. And in verse 7 of our text, it says, By faith he condemned the world. Meaning, God said, it's going to rain, everybody's going to die who's not in the boat. And for 90 years, Noah built a boat, and for 90 years, and I can only imagine with tears while being taunted, he said, I know it's hard for you to believe this, but you have to believe in God. You have to believe that your life is actually in, in His hands, and it's not about you because the sky is going to break forth and it's going to flood. Please turn to God. Please turn to God so that you will get in the boat. And he preached righteousness. And he condemned the world. Meaning when people said that's a joke. Noah lived out faith. Noah preached out the faith. And so, so, so far we might ask ourselves these three questions so far in this sermon. Have I believed the word of the gospel personally? Do I have a relationship with God, not by what I'm trying to do and good deeds and bad deeds, but simply on the basis of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, has finished for me a gift, therefore grace, and I have simply believed and trusted him and I have the gift? That's the first question. Second question is, do I believe God's word to me through the Holy Scriptures as a believer? How important is it for me to hear the Word of God spoken to me? And then thirdly, of course, is the question, do I act on God's Word? Am I a hearer only or am I a doer of the Word of God? Just parenthetically for a moment, 
It is hard to act on God's Word when we don't interact with God's Word. We got a little problem today. I'm going to be talking to you about culture and different things that are going on that, that challenge our faith as we get a little deeper into this message today. But one of the things is that we have so many multiplied outlets of teaching. Good, I mean, good teaching. Praise the Lord for that, right? That people now are living their faiths, faith vicariously through other people. You know what I mean by vicariously? Like parents sometimes live vicariously through their children, you know? What do you believe? I believe what he believes. I listen to him on the radio. What do you believe? Well, I believe what he believes. To where we hear other people teach, evidently other people have been with God, other people have read the Word, and, and that Word has spoken to their particular lives and the contours of their joys and their pains and their struggles and their triumphs. And now that person, me in this case, to this morning, would be telling you the Word of God, but it does not meet you exactly like God Himself would meet you. I can't know exactly where you are. I can't apply the Word of God as thoroughly. I can't challenge you the way you really need to be challenged by this God who loves you and has the best for you. And so very often we live kind of vicariously. Faith, remember, is... is believing the Word of God and acting on it regardless of the circumstances or the consequences. So just a little parenthesis there, you know, do, do we interact with the Word of God? And the third thing is that in spite of circumstances, we believe it, we act on it, but in spite of circumstances, in spite of what's going on, and in spite of what putting faith in God will lead to in my life. Maybe not even happy things. Maybe pressure. Maybe difficulty. I have decided to follow Jesus, though none go with me. Still, I will follow kind of stuff. In spite of circumstances and consequences, here is where the rubber meets the road. I mean, what, what if what God wants me to do is not what I want? It's a pretty simple question. What if it causes me to feel pressure from other people? What if it requires endurance? Like those Indian pastors. It's kind of like we're, we say to God almost, look, I can have faith as long as it doesn't require faith. It's like faith on our terms a little bit more than the whole issue of faith in things that aren't seen, that are just obedient to God's word and His calling us to trust Him, to believe Him for His promises, that what He will do is good and right, and we can trust Him. You know, um, there had never been a flood. We know that for a fact, because this was the flood. There are people who think, and I don't know if they're right or wrong, but it's an interesting thought, that before the, the antediluvian, before the flood, the, the before the flood world maybe had a greenhouse effect, some people think it never rained before that there was just lots more moisture and people lived longer and plants and all this other stuff. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you something. Um, you can just imagine what Noah's faith acting out on this word cost him. If it never rained before and he's saying, look, I'm building this boat, it's going to rain. What's rain? Well, rain's when the water comes down out of the sky. And not only is it going to rain, it's going to flood. 
the whole earth is going to be destroyed. You are a nut. What are you doing in the backyard? What, what is that you're building? What are you laying? You're staking out something huge in the backyard. Noah is a right-wing, Bible-thumping wingnut. Children, don't go play with Noah's children. Stay away from him. Man. I mean, it's not like Noah can build this thing in private. It's not like he can build it in his garage or something. It's the size of a carnival cruise ship. In fact, if you turn to Genesis 6, 14 through 16, you want to hear how long it is? I'm going to put this in, somebody's put this in, in you know, I was going to say English, but you know, our measurements, whatever that's called. God said, build an ark or a boat 438 feet long. That's huge. That's a carnival cruise ship. That's how, how long it was. How wide was it? 73 feet wide. That's a carnival cruise ship. How high was it? 40, let me make sure I got this, 44 feet high. Now, this building, when you see this building from Highland County Parkway, that's three stories, it's about 30 feet. So just go ahead and add another third, and that's how high that thing he was building in his backyard was. It is massive. This is amazing faith. I mean, I am just in utter awe of Noah. It has calculated square feet of deck area, 95,700 square feet of deck area. Cubic feet, <laughs> cubic feet. I love this. Don't you love this? 1,396,000 cubic feet of storage within the rectangular boat. I mean, this thing is huge. That man is crazy. And Noah does all this in the face of reality. Reality is, it ain't raining, Noah. Reality is, is you probably need to go talk to somebody about these voices you hear, Noah. But he just continued to believe the Word of God. We have no indication that God ever came back to him in 90 years and said, now, I just want you to know, I I'm, I'm still want you to build that boat. And all the ridicule and all the persecution as he just built and preached. Verse 7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. What we see is that this wasn't yet seen. Noah did not live by perception when it came to God's word. He lived by faith. He believed it. He acted out on it. He knew it was best. That's faith. Noah didn't live by sight and Noah didn't live by his feelings either. Because if Noah lived by his feelings, he would have given up that project long time ago. No, Noah lives by faith. Because he doesn't feel anything for 90 years. I'll tell you what he feels. He feels really tired. He feels really put down. He feels to be made, to be called stupid, just like many of you, particularly of you, some of you who are students, have probably encountered, and he was taunted and ridiculed like people are sometimes today. And this is important because we don't walk by sight either. And we don't walk by our feelings either because we don't always feel good, do we? 
And God has not written anywhere in His Word that if you follow me, you will always feel good. And not only do we not always feel good, we don't always feel God. And that's really hard. But the Bible says that we live by faith and not by feelings. But we say, you know, I just don't think I can do that with God. Well, let me just help you a little bit. There's nothing that you can do by feelings. You cannot be married by feelings. Right, married people? You, st- you try to do a marriage by feelings, it is not happening. You cannot have a job by feelings because you're not going to want to get up and go. You're not going to want to face the confrontation. You're not going to want to take responsibility for your failure. You're not going to want to step out to the next thing because you don't feel like it. And you're not going anywhere if you do it by feelings. Look, you can't even play sports by feelings without, you know, if you do it by feelings, there aren't any comebacks. You're not down 28 to 3 at halftime and then come back. Do you know why? Because you felt so down at halftime that you gave up. You can't play sports. You can't do a job. You can't be married by feelings. What makes us think we can walk with God by feelings? Why is it that we shift categories when it comes to the Almighty who says, listen, Here's my word. This is rock solid. Believe it. Do it. Don't live by feelings. And we feel deeply. I don't mean don't have feelings. But don't let our feelings drive our lives. I think we have special challenges today in this area of living by sight, in this area of feelings. I mean, we definitely uh, have this issue of not feeling God and in our feeling-oriented culture. And not only a feeling-oriented culture, would you agree with me? But a a sensational, a sensory-oriented, a visually-oriented, an experientially-oriented culture. And uh, and we struggle with that, me included. Uh, Please don't take this as some beatdown. It's like, I'll take this as wooing us back to God who loves us, who wants to lead us, and and wants us to have faith. And sometimes when people say they can't feel God, what they mean is, is I'm, the noise in my life, emotionally or whatever, the spirit, hard experiences I've been through, they're, they're screaming so loud right now that I can't perceive God. I think we all go through that. But there are some people who mean something different by that. Sometimes it's from the angle that because I can't feel God all the time, therefore I declare He does not exist. Living by our emotions and by sight and just going with the flow is killing us. And i tell you why. Because we just have more flow to go with now we have exponentially more information you think about the websites the songs the shows the tweets the text the this the that the other it's astounding what human beings are handling emotionally and by sight today i was reading a book by jp moreland a few 
weeks ago, and he quotes the uh, psychologist Philip Cushman, who wrote in American Psychology Magazine, and I wrote this quote down. He's the person that coined the term, which he believes is just rampant in our culture, the, quote, empty self. It's really interesting, the empty self. He said, you know, I look out in culture, and what I see are people, they're just empty. Philip Cushman says in this article, the empty self, let's play on words almost, listen to this, the empty self is filled up. The empty self is filled up with consumer goods, calories, experiences, politicians, romantic partners, and empathetic therapists. The empty self experiences a significant absence of community and shared meaning a lack of personal conviction, and a lack of personal worth. And these absences go on to produce a chronic, undifferentiated emotional hunger. Wow. In plain English, we're a nation of people who've got instant access to everything, and we have nothing. And that, folks is the off-ramp from faith. We live in a culture where we get most everything we want. And it's hard not to. We live in a culture where everything we get, most everything is somewhat immediate, or at least we know we're going to get it immediately. And we live in a culture that is visually driven. TV, movies, internet... I mean, I want you to think about how hard it is to just walk with Jesus in the faith once delivered to the apostles in 2011 in this brave new world in which we're living. Because we've got screens. We've got big screens. We've got fold-out screens. We've got tablet screens. We've got iPad, iPhone screens and cell phones. We, we are attached to a screen now most every waking moment of our life. And here's the simple truth of the matter is everything that is real comes up on the screen. And that's how we know something's real because we can see it. Even virtual things that aren't even real are on our screen. It is training us away if we're not careful from the whole notion of faith. Because God won't come up on your screen. God is not manipulated by hotkeys or computer commands. Because He is God, He has spoken, and we will either believe and act on this, and we will believe as Noah did in things that are not yet seen, or we're just going to go with the flow and be yet another empty self. And when God's word conflicts with what we want immediately, we have a tendency to go with what we want and to throw God overboard. That's just true. Because it's always there. It's always a click away. I, I mean, we all have that tendency. We all have to live by faith. And then there is, for those of you who are in college There is the taunting 
of the unbelieving world. And there is the new atheism and Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens and the whole nine yards screaming just the way they screamed at Noah, you are stupid and superstitious to have faith just like Noah had to face. I love Noah. I adore Noah because he did for 90 years what we often do not do in 90 seconds. Trust and obey God because he's good and his ways are right and his paths are peace even if we don't see it. Trust me, I am screaming at myself and I am not just preaching to you. And then it started to rain. And folks, when it started to rain, it did not stop for 40 days. And there was a moment when Noah's carnival cruise ship for animals in one family, in his backyard, there was a moment that it lifted up off of his backyard and then that poignant verse tragic verse and God shut the door of the ark meaning Noah couldn't have opened that door to let somebody in once it was too late if he had wanted to this is serious stuff that folks is final reality then and now. Then and now. And there was never a time when you could say it as practically and as heartfelt. Salvation is of the Lord and the Lord alone. Then that little family and extended family were able to say it in that ark floating toward a new, a new land and a new world. Salvation is by grace. It is only God that gets us through the death of this world. Only God that brings us through the floods. Only God that brings us through all the onslaughts that by faith we are called to go through. At the end of the day, it is God's empowerment. But we must also want to live by faith. I close with 1 Peter 3, 20 and 21. They disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently. Isn't that an interesting verse? Remember Noah preached righteousness? Noah condemned the world by building a boat. Noah preached. They disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism. And now saves you also, not from the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God that saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? It's got an allusion to baptism on our baptism Sunday. It's pretty cool. Because the final reality is only averted through that ark right there in front of me. That table represents the only blessed 
meaningful and safe passage through life and into the next. And praise his name. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we go to the table that we would acknowledge that you are God and God alone. We would acknowledge that love has come down, glory has come down, prone to wander, Lord, we feel it, prone to leave the God we love. Here's our hearts, O oh, take and seal them, seal them for thy courts above. O oh, Lord, we pray that, we thank you that only you can pay the price, only you can bring us in, and you accept sinners, and we are sinners today, and For those who have put their trust in you, we are accepted in the beloved Jesus. We come just as we are and you accept us just as we are. You don't want to leave us just as we are, Lord. You want to build into our lives beauty. You want to build through our lives kingdom and love. Lord, we pray as we approach this table, you would take us to a place of openness to the word of grace for us today and openness to the word of God and that you would give us a hunger to believe in your promises and to want to walk with you by faith and see them fulfilled. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.